0: For your mercy as we approach your word, that you'd give us a humble heart and a receptive heart that would actually see this as your word and that we would allow it to change our lives. There's things in here that we don't like. There's things in here that offend us because we think, well, I'm fine the way I am. But the fact is, if you say that we need to change, we need to change. If we need to change our mind about something, then we need to change our mind about that thing. We don't need to argue with you about it. <clears throat> we need to realize in our own hearts that you're not some superman, that you're literally the supreme God, the creator, the, the one whose every will is carried out in the physical universe and that we're the only ones that are rebelling. We and the fallen angels are the only ones that have ever rebelled against you. And we ask that we as believers can see that clearly and stop doing it because it's still part of our sin nature to want to Do things our own way and rebel against you. As we study your word, we'd ask you to give us clarity of thought and mind that we would literally have the mind of Christ as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Looks like my throat's going to give me trouble now. I had too good a time singing with Brother Barrick. So it's recall time. Funny, I don't find that singing that little thing actually helps as much as actually taking the lozenge. <clears throat> no matter what the TV show says. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter two, last week we left off in verse nine. We're going to start with that verse today. <clears throat> um. But as it is written, eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But, verse 10, God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of the man that is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. For their foolishness unto him neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned <clears throat> but he that is spiritual judges all things the the word actually means discerns <clears throat> all things but he himself is discerned is the word king james says judge the the word actually means discerned a lot of there's a lot of words that are changed in modern english from old english he himself is discerned of no man for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, <clears throat> it's an awful lot here. The title of the message is The Mind of Christ and He That is Spiritual. There's a number of questions that probably ought to be arising in our minds as we read this passage first one might be just who is the we and the us he's talking about here when he says we have the mind of Christ or we, uh, this other thing, uh, that God has has revealed to us by his spirit. Um, We have received not the spirit of this world and so forth. Who's the we? Another question might be what does it mean to be a natural man because he says the natural man does not receive the things of the Lord. (laughs) But, of course, the flip side of that is, what does it mean to be spiritual, then? If that's the opposite of the natural man, what does it mean to be a spiritual man? Finally, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ, and are there any other possibilities? If if the natural man and the spiritual man are two possible categories of humans, is there a third possible category? So last time we ended with verse nine, which says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. <clears throat> the primary thing we touched on last time, this is two weeks ago, last time was the fact that when modern writers tell us in great detail that they can tell us exactly what heaven's like, well, the only two possibilities are they're either deluding themselves or they're flat out lying because God says they don't know. And that you can go into any Christian bookstore and find books telling you that somebody's gone to heaven and come back and told you all about it. It's odd that the only person that got to go there briefly and come back in a vision, and he actually said he didn't know if it was a vision or not, <clears throat> was apparently either the Apostle Paul or somebody he knew. It sounds as though it was him in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And... He said regarding what he saw and heard there, it was not lawful for him to repeat it to anybody. He wasn't allowed to tell anybody anything that he saw. So the only one that we got that did get to go and tell us is in the book of Revelation, which, yes, on Sunday mornings we're going to be getting to Revelation. We're in Daniel right now, in Daniel chapter 2. <clears throat> but we're going to see a few brief things about what god's courtroom looks like in revelation chapters four and five we're seeing an even more vague view of what the new heaven and new earth looks like in chapters 21 and 22 but but literally in terms of what the eternal state is going to be and what it's, it's like in heaven right now we're not told a thing we just don't know and he says that right here, that it's, it's not given to us. <clears throat> now, with that being the case, it seems like, you know, verse 10 then is a little bit strange because it says that it's been revealed to us. Well, some of it has. What he says is that the things that are freely given to us are revealed to us by the Spirit. <clears throat> it doesn't say that he's revealed everything to us. There's things that we don't understand, and we're not going to. Maybe never. Um he says as high as the heavens are above the earth so high are my thoughts above yours we're we're not on the we're not even the same book let alone the same page we're not on the same frequency if you want to put it that way we're we're not going to understand everything about god now people don't like that i don't like it you know we all i want to know well sorry i remember when i was uh Probably about three, I was excited about learning things. and I told my dad, I want to know everything. And he says, well, you can't. It's impossible. There, there's too much, there's an infinite number of things out there to learn. No one person can learn all of it. And I was a little offended. I thought, well, why not? I ought to be able to learn it all. Sorry, that's the way the whole human race sees things. We think we ought to be able to get that. So until somebody tells us there's something that we literally cannot understand, it bothers us. Well, but the fact is we don't even understand all the physical universe around us. The, the people that understand the most also understand how much there is that we don't understand. Uh, I remember hearing a conversation between two people or reading about it, I guess, and I've asked other people the same thing. How much, what percentage would you say of all the knowledge that's in the universe do we actually know now and, and understand? Uh, do you think it's, 10%? No, yeah, no, no, not even close. Okay, how much? 5%? Maybe. I said, okay, let's say it's 5% just for the sake of argument. Would you say that in the 95% that we don't know, there might be room for the God of the Bible to exist and have authority since we confess that we don't know at least 95% of what's out there? And they kind of stumble over that. They, well, I mean, you know, because they've already denied the possibility that the Bible is actually true. And, and even though they've just admitted that actually most of the stuff out there we flat don't know. Nobody knows. <clears throat> so when we read here that he says the things that God has prepared for them that love him are not revealed, most of it's not. There's a few things that he has revealed and he, he tells us some of them here in, the, in his word. <clears throat> There's things in the Bible that are called mystery. And usually... When the Bible calls something a mystery, it means it's something that has not previously been been revealed, but it is about to be revealed. In uh, Ephesians chapter 3, he talks about the mystery of the church, which in prior ages, nobody knew anything about. The Old Testament prophets knew nothing about this joining of Jew and Gentile into one body that was called the body of Christ. That didn't exist in Old Testament theology. It was there, but nobody could see it. <clears throat> and that's one there's others he talks about mystery Babylon in, in Revelation um, you see it's not like when we talk about mysteries we're thinking about an Agatha Christie murder mystery well in her mysteries she does give you all the clues honestly she does and if you're a sharp enough reader you can catch them as you go and you may be able to you know, solve the mystery before you get to the end of the book well I'm not good enough I'll get a few of the clues and think I've got some others and still have no idea what's going on until we get to the end of the book. And it turns out that, yeah, I picked up a couple of clues and some other things that I thought were clues were, uh, let's see, what do they call false clues or red herrings or something. Um, anyway, I just go ahead and enjoy the story. But in general, I don't much care for mysteries because I always feel like there's something you're not telling me here. Well, right. But in this case, God flat tells you he's not telling you everything. He's not giving you all the clues. The knowledge has not been made available, and that's okay. When Daniel got, to, when we get to the end of the book of Daniel, we'll get there someday, I promise. <clears throat> in Daniel chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, Daniel complained that, okay, I, I got all the stuff that you told me, but I don't understand it. And whoever was talking to him, and it's not real clear who the person was talking to him, I'll say it was the Lord himself, but he says, write it down, close the book, and run along, Daniel. That message was not for you. It was for the people of the end times. Okay? So here's Daniel, one of the greatest prophets in history, having to be satisfied to not know. That's okay. And as we study the book of Revelation, there's some of it that I have to look at and say, I don't know. I I can't even imagine how that could be but god says it is i have to accept that and i also accept that the people of the end times that are there to see it will know exactly this is what it's talking about so mystery in the bible is not the same as what we call a mystery it's not there for us to ferret out all the facts and understand it all that's not the way mysteries are revealed to us mysteries in from God's point of view, the things he calls mysteries, he has to reveal to us. He doesn't just give us some clues and say, see if you can figure this out. No. He, he says that without my telling you, you're not going to know. <clears throat> the world has made up some pretty silly and dangerous, I think, video games about fighting demons. <laughs> Actually, there's some books out on fighting demons, and they got a whole bunch of extra-biblical garbage telling you how to fight demons and of course these video games have you being able to shoot them somehow or come on guys they're invisible to begin with i mean there's things that are unseen that are unseen because we don't know where it is but there's things that are unseen because they are invisible that there's no way you can see them and that's in the category of the angelic beings and god the father and the holy spirit in fact Jesus himself is the only member of the Godhead who ever shows up in human form and says, hi, here I am. He's the one that was in the Garden of Eden calling Adam, where are you? He's the one that sat there eating lunch with Abraham and arguing with him about, well, he wasn't doing the arguing, Abraham was, but talking with Abraham about what he was planning to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's the one that showed up when Joshua was getting ready to go into Jericho and Joshua didn't know who he was but he told him he says no I'm here as the captain of the host of the Lord I'm the Lord of hosts that's that's Jesus in the flesh showing up in his pre-incarnate self okay he's the only one that does that all the rest of the unseen world is unseen because it's invisible it's not just hidden once in a while God has chosen to make some of them visible for a little while." You know, Elisha was cooped up in this city and they were surrounded by enemy soldiers and his sidekick, I think his name was Gehazi, later on at least, he had a sidekick named Gehazi, uh, was scared. He said, what are we going to do? And he said, don't be afraid, there's more on our side than there are theirs. And Gehazi's looking at him like, huh? And... So Elisha asked God to open his eyes, to let him see, and, and he did. Just momentarily, he got to see that the hills all around the enemy soldiers that were surrounding them were filled with flaming chariots and, and angelic beings ready to swoop down on them. They're surrounded. So, you know, they, you know, the rest of the story is kind of interesting in itself, but we're not going to go there this morning. But <clears throat> once in a while... God lets us see the unseen, lets us see the invisible. But in John 1.18, he says, we've never gotten to see God the Father. He says, no man has seen God at any time, but in, but the only begotten Son is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. He is the communicator of God. In John 1.1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with God god i remember sharing this having a mexican friend of mine uh romaldo perez was his name uh shared him with i gave him a spanish bible and had him read john 1 1 to me actually the first chapter of john but i remember watching his eyes as he was reading in a principio era el verbo y el verbo Con Dios, verbo, and his eyes flew open wide. He says uh, um, Eradios. He'd never known that. He'd never known that the Word was God. He saw Jesus as this separate being. But when we get down to verse 14, John 1, 14, it says, The Word was made flesh. I can talk louder than you can, little lady. <coughs> The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That that word, the communication of God, was Jesus. So when we see in Hebrews chapter 1, when God God the Father introduces the idea, it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke unto the fathers, the patriarchs, by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir over of all things and by whom also he made the worlds oh that word the one who's the creator the one who's the master of all things the one who spoke to the storm and calmed it that word that's the one that declares and communicates the person of God. <clears throat> so the reason I think that the human race makes such foolish and dangerous mockery of the unseen world is because we don't understand anything about it. We don't really believe it's there. You know, yeah, demons. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, talking about the fairies or something. Well, the fact is that God goes out of His way to explain to us there is an unseen world, and our our enemies, our only true enemies, are unseen in in uh, ephesians chapter 6 he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against and he names like four or five classes of angelic beings against principalities and powers and rulers of the uh, of the uh, spiritual wickedness in this age um we don't see them so he gives us armor that's suited only for fighting an unseen enemy you know, the helmet of salvation is because of an unseen enemy that keeps attacking your mind. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and it's a, it's primarily for use against those enemies. That we defend ourselves against those enemies by using His Word. We memorize His Word so that we can use His Word. You can't use a weapon that you don't you know how to hold. I watch people well, on, primarily on YouTube videos, but trying to handle a, a weapon that they've never seen before. They don't even know where the safety is on the gun. or the, or the, I remember as a child, when I was maybe 10 or 11, I guess I was 11, my dad taking me to some shop, and one of the things they had was a full-on, uh, I think it was a cutlass, but it was some kind of sword. And, of course, being a kid, I was imagining you know, I could do the Errol Flynn thing, swashbuckler. I couldn't hold the thing out at arm's length. My wrist goes like that, <clears throat> bent down, because the sword is heavy. You have to learn to use it. You have to strengthen yourself. It takes years to build up the strength in your wrists and arms and shoulders and hands to be able to whip that thing around like you see those guys do on TV. The guys that are good can do that, but they've spent years strengthening themselves to do that. When we learn to use the sword of the Spirit, it takes practice. Your wrist isn't going to hurt, no. No. But you're, you, you need to take, spend some time at it. <clears throat> so who's the we? Well, that one's pretty simple. Paul is speaking to believers, as we saw in the first few verses of the book, speaking to believers everywhere and down through the ages, and he addresses them as being fellow believers. So he says we because that's all-inclusive of believers. So all the time he says we and us, when he's talking about the mysteries to be revealed to us, he's talking about to believers, not just to the whole human race. But we're gonna find out it can be even more exclusive than that. So how does God reveal the things of God to human believers? Well, we've already talked about the fact that Jesus is the declarer of God. But we also notice that Jesus is the Word I kind of did this out of order because we sang two hymns that talked about Jesus being the Word made flesh. He's the one who declares God to us. But if he's the Word, and he's commanded us to give attention to his written Word, and he has, then that's where we find out the hidden things of God. We go to his Word. And his Holy Spirit has to teach us We can't even understand it on our own jesus is literally the revealer of god he's the only member of the godhead that ever shows up in human form as we said but because he's the word because god calls him the word and by the way when you get to revelation chapter 19 verse 13 it's talking about jesus coming back to earth it's talking about the second coming and he's got this banner on him that says the word of god it's him he's the word of god he's the living word and what we have here is the written word. But he tells us to give attention to that written word as the only light in our darkness. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19-20. says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye, plural, ye do well to take heed as unto a light in a dark place, until the day star arise, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, until the Lord comes back, that's our light in the darkness, is that written word. That's where we need to focus. <clears throat> the word declares God. He's the living word, but he's told us to to go to the written word. In Hebrews chapter 12, I think where he says about the, the word is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to dis, dis, uh, discern the intent of the heart, and able to divide between the soul and the spirit, and between joint and marrow. That's talking about Jesus. But the written word is where he tells us to focus our attention in order to get what the living word has to say. So that living word, the sword of the spirit, is the only effective weapon against the true enemies of our souls. I, in my notes I had said, if you know, if you want to, you know, be zapping demons with faith bolts or something like that that's comic book stuff that's that's the video game stuff and if that's what you believe go play the video games so i really really don't recommend that that's not that's not a good idea it's wrong it's stupid and you're just playing games he says that it's not by the spirit of the world that we understand this says paul says in verse 12 the only reason we can even receive this communication is that we have received the Spirit of God, and we no longer are led by the Spirit of the world. And he explains this concept in verses 14 through 16. Now, an unbeliever can receive the gospel. That's your entry-level information. If you can get this and grab onto it, then we can move on. If you can't get that, there's no place to go. If you can't accept the news of the cross, I understand that it applies to you personally. If you can't understand that Jesus' blood was shed for your sins personally, then you can't go on to the deeper things of God because that's the entry level bit of information that you have to accept before you can move on. And there's millions of people that claim to be, oh, I don't know, theologians, or some of them claim to be Christians, some of them claim to be something else, that think they understand all about God, but they've denied that one. Central issue. They've denied the cross, they've denied the blood of Jesus, they've denied the deity of Christ, so they can't move on to what he calls the deep things of God. They can't go on to those. It's not by the spirit of the world. An unbeliever can receive that initial message of the gospel, they can make a decision based on that message and if they decide to believe god instead of believing all the other possible sources of information and that's a that's an individual choice a person has to make if they're willing to take him at his word then at that moment whether they know it or not whether they're aware of it or not they also receive the holy spirit and dwell them that's what we find that in first corinthians chapter 12 verse 13. we may get there someday if i live long enough i know we're going awful slow but First Corinthians twelve thirteen 13 says that, that we're all baptized, that means placed into, dipped into, one body by one Holy Spirit. The moment you believe, you're placed into the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells you. Jesus says he's going to live in you forever. <clears throat> At that moment, he can start teaching you. He's gonna he's gonna immediately begin teaching you. And after that point, you start finding out the Bible is increasingly an open book. There's people right here in this room that can tell you, look, not long ago I tried to read the Bible and I didn't get it. I received the Lord as my Savior and now I'm getting it. I'm starting to understand. I'm reading them and it's all making sense. Yeah, that's exactly right. Crossing that initial barrier of did he die for me personally? Is what gets in the door, and after that point, the Holy Spirit can teach you. B- before that, you're just going to be scrabbling around the edges of things and never, never getting inside. In Acts chapter 17, verse thir- no, verse 11, it says that these in Berea, when Paul and Silas preached in Berea, it says these in Berea were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received. The word re- with all readiness of mind, and search the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. See, that's how we're supposed to respond. I take what I'm hearing and think, okay, that's cool. Does that match what I know of God's word? And we start looking. You don't remember? Oh, that is what it says here. See, and that's what they were doing. They were finding out that what Paul and Silas were telling them was true. They believed God's word. <clears throat> So that means we have to teach it that way, too. He says in verse 13 here that we're not to take that received message and try to pass it on to others using the wisdom of man. This is not with the words that man's wisdom uses, but rather by the wisdom of God. See, we're to compare Scripture with Scripture. Compare, he says comparing spiritual with spiritual. <coughs> We want to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. That's what the people in Berea were doing. And if we as the messengers of God are not comparing spiritual things with spiritual, we're not comparing Scripture to Scripture, we're not using God's Word to teach God's Word, then they don't have any standard to measure what we're saying. They can't go back to, the, to God's Word and say, well, yeah, I guess it does say that. Because we're quoting somebody else. This morning I briefly quoted... Friedrich Nietzsche, not because he's a good person to quote, but because it happened to tie in with something that we were talking about, that it happened, I don't know, 700 years before Christ, and that he was quoting that person, Zarathustra. Uh, but in general, we've got to stick to God's word as closely as we can so that a person can go back and check and read and say that actually that is what it says i get it okay and i make a point of trying to do that and we make a point in this church of trying to teach the scripture that way it does my heart good in bible study to see people frantically taking notes or writing down every scripture why because they're going to go back and study it over on their own see they're going to read it they're going to check it out and see if we're talking nonsense or if that that's really what it says okay so that's the way we're supposed to teach. <clears throat> Otherwise, they don't have any way to know whether we're faithfully teaching the sh- the Savior and His Word, or whether we're declaring something else. <clears throat> so, what's a natural man? It says, "The natural man receiveth not the things of the Lord." The natural man is an unbeliever in his natural state, whatever that is. It might be some, you know, ignorant tribal farmer or hunter-gatherer or fisherman or something. Uh, living in some place where they've had zero education of any other kind, or it might be somebody on the other end of the spectrum that's you know, highly educated, professional in their field, a doctor of this or the other thing, uh, you know, an attorney or an engineer or a philosopher or a theologian even, but if they don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, they're still a natural man, whoever they are, whatever they are, that they're still in their natural state and because of that god says they cannot grab onto the things of god the majority of god's word will continue to look like foolishness to them as they read it they're like how can you believe this stuff you know as a believer you start with the baby food and you start growing and after a while you realize oh you know i never would have thought of that that's why this makes sense that's why this works and that's what i'm still learning today i I mean when i study the scripture i'm constantly amazed at how it all fits together that that these words written down by god's servants over a period of 1600 years and 40 of them that mostly didn't know each other a few of them knew each other but mostly they did not uh that all their testimonies fit together as one book it is one book by one author they just were the scribes that wrote it down just like i'm just the guy bringing the bucket that god fills with his word I, I can dump it out for the flock, but I, I'm not the author. <clears throat> now, a lot of people feel that talking this thing about the entry level truth of the cross is exclusive or elitist or something. It's not, it's the opposite of that. The ground at the foot of the cross is completely level, it levels it for everybody. That nobody is too ignorant to understand the truth that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and that that's the one savior. And nobody's too educated to understand it. They may be educated enough that they find it offensive, but the fact is it brings the high down, it brings the low up. The ground at the foot of the cross is completely level. We're all a bunch of lost sinners until we pass that ground and become a bunch of saved sinners. There's nothing exclusive about it. Jesus said he came to die for the sins of the whole world. And first John chapter 2, verse 2 flat out says, He didn't die for our sins alone, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's completely non-exclusive. Anybody that's willing to come to him in faith is invited. He says, Whosoever will may come. That's the invitation. It's to everyone. <clears throat> one of the reasons i enjoy there's things i don't like about the christmas season as as randy was sharing earlier and but there's some things i enjoy about it is reviewing the the facts concerning why jesus came and why he came as a baby in a born in a stable in a barn and uh why that mattered why all of it mattered why did the virgin why was the virgin birth an absolute necessity to his being the Savior. A lot of people think it's not. No, it is. All these things we talk about at Christmas turn out to be absolutely core issues. The spiritual man then, as opposed to the natural man, has received the Holy Spirit by faith. And here's where the problem is. Everybody thinks, okay, then that's all it is. No, a spiritual man is someone who has received the Holy Spirit by faith and is currently, right now, walking with the Lord in obedience you see because there is a third option I can be saved and not walking with the Lord we've been talking about Samson recently in, in the book of Judges and you know yeah he was un, unquestionably a believer and God confirms that in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32 he names him uh, unquestionably a believer and not walking with God he's just doing everything he felt like doing he was not a spiritual man In those moments when god took over and worked through him for the moment he was a spiritual man but it didn't last long in his case some of us are the same way we're momentarily walking with god and then we fall right back into our old ways and the people that do that end up just like samson blinded and working for the enemy in his case he was physically blinded and physically working for his physical enemies in a believer's case today we end up judicially blinded We've ignored the light of God's word, and so we become judicially blind, or we cannot understand God's word anymore. And we can't grow. We can't walk with him. And the result is that we end up working for the enemy, not even knowing it. <clears throat> when you see a person who's become so bitter that all they do is accuse others, who's the accuser of the brethren? Well, according to Revelation chapter 12, it's Satan, that he's the accuser of the brethren so they are taking on a part-time job being a junior accuser you know that's a pretty sad thing for for a believer to do but it happens probably everybody here has known somebody like that they're yeah they seem to be a believer they say they are but man they got they got a bitter spirit they're always bad-mouthing somebody either to their face or behind their back okay why well because they're not a spiritual man they're saved well, what's the difference? Well, if you flip ahead, we're not going to go there today, but if you flip ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, momentarily here, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 3, first three verses, he says, And I, brethren, he's talking to Christians, brethren, his brothers in Christ, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Oh, I thought the spiritual people were the ones that received the Holy Spirit. No. No, they, that's part of it. Yeah, they had to have the Holy Spirit. But he says, I couldn't talk to you that way, but as unto carnal, fleshly. From the same place we get the, the word chili con carne means with flesh, with meat. That you're, you're living in the flesh. That's the third possibility. He says, I couldn't talk to you as spiritual, but unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Well, they were still babes. They were fairly new Christians, and they hadn't really done much growing yet. There's another group, over in hebrews chapter 5 verses uh, 12 through 15 i think where he addresses them and said you have become babes you should have been teachers by now but you've gone backwards you slid back to where you're babes again and somebody's got to come back and teach you the fundamentals of the things of christ because you've you've gone so far the other way now that's really sad too but you see there's two different ways to be a carnal christian one is because you're a baby that hadn't learned anything the other is to be a should have been an adult christian by now but you've slid further and further back till you're right back in the baby food department there in hebrews he talks about that he says babies we got to feed baby food you got to puree things for them and and he uses in king james he uses the word strong meat and everybody thinks it means a tough steak no it doesn't It just means solid food Look it up. The, the meat just means food. It's not talking about flesh. And strong just means solid as opposed to pureed pablum. You know, that's what he's talking about. He says a person that eats solid food that had their senses exercised to discern good and evil, they're, they're learning to understand the word and use it correctly. And that's what we're encouraged to do, to grow into that. As long as we continue in that state we can't understand God's Word. we can't grow as believers, and we, we retreat further and further into spiritual immaturity. And that's what had happened to those people back in Hebrews chapter 12 versus, uh, chapter five verses 12 through 14. But in, in the end of this passage, he says that the spiritual man judges all things, they can discern things that other people can't and they're not discerned by others. Well, what does that mean? Why would you not be discerned? <clears throat> In the last passage, it talks about that, and then it talks about having the mind of Christ. And Paul said the spiritual man can discern all things. King James says judge, but the word actually means discern. <clears throat> uh, but then he says that others, maybe unbelievers is talking about, cannot discern him maybe it means they can't understand his motives and i've seen that on several occasions where i've made a decision based on what god says that other people think i'm just totally crazy for doing and i can't even really try to explain it to them because i know they're not a believer they don't get this they don't have the same motives and they're seeing me doing something they would never do that required humbling myself to go ask forgiveness for somebody that i had offended 17 years earlier because i finally found out where they were i said chad i don't understand you you're crazy because i called this guy up in the middle of the day i found him because i heard his voice on the radio and realized i know that voice and then he named himself and i thought there's only one guy with that name and that voice and i called that radio station I said, yeah, he's here on the, on the air right now. I said, well, could you ask if he's the same so-and-so that went to Forest Grove High School in 1970-something? And he heard me in the background and I said, yes. And I said, can I call back in 15 minutes? Will he be off there then? They said, yeah. So I called back and told him who I was and I apologized for what I had done to offend him. He freely forgave me. But the guy that I was working with, we were in a machine shop, he says, you're crazy. I don't understand you, Chad. Okay. It was a spiritual man discerning what needed to be done because God said so, doing what needed to be done, and the world looking at it and saying, You're out of your mind. Let it go. 17 years ago, he doesn't even know you exist anymore. No, but I know he exists. There's been other cases like that where something that I've chosen to do and somebody else just flat out thought I was being totally crazy. So why would that be likely? Well, Paul quotes an Old Testament verse in Isaiah 40, forty, thirteen, when he says that humans are not capable of understanding God's spirit or His thoughts. When he when he says, "Who has known the, the mind of the Lord?" Lost my place here. Um, verse sixteen. He says, "Who hath known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him?" Well, that's quoting Isaiah forty, thirteen saying that we're not capable of understanding his thoughts okay but once you receive his holy spirit and if you're in submission to him you are capable of understanding his thoughts and that's why he concludes but we have the mind of christ see there is a there is a way out of this dilemma it's to not only receive the holy spirit by faith by believing that jesus died for me personally It's also to be in submission to His Spirit so that I can have the mind of Christ, so that I can be thinking His thoughts and making decisions the way He says. We choose to make decisions in the absence of God's counsel, and maybe just because that's what we want. Well, I feel like doing this, so I'm going to do this. The consequence is that we've resubmitted ourselves to the tyranny of sin in our lives. Romans chapter 6 says you don't have to sin anymore. But it does say in verse 14 that whoever you submit yourself to, you become their slave. So if you submit yourself to sin, you go right back to being enslaved by sin until you, the Greek word is metanoia, means change your mind, but it's translated repent, confess your sins to God, 1 John 1.9. If you don't have that one memorized, please memorize it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how you get back in fellowship. That's how you get back to being a spiritual man, a spiritual woman. Let me go back to that. And this is what it's talking about in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where we're commanded to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That means allowing the holy spirit to start changing our thinking so that we're thinking his thoughts and then you do genuinely have the mind of christ and it'll affect your whole life are you still going to stumble and fall absolutely guarantee it do you have to nope you don't have to but i've never known anybody that didn't have their days when they got up grumpy and stayed that way until they finally woke up enough to realize oh this is not from the lord then people around us are going to think we're pretty strange when you do that. When you behave like Jesus, people are going to find it pretty strange. They're going to think, I don't understand what you're doing. That's okay. That's a good thing. One of the things they might see is that you keep your word even when it's going to hurt you. If you've made a promise to somebody and it turns out it's going to really cost you to fulfill that, you still do it anyway. Proverbs 15.4, excuse me, Psalm 15.4 well, in 15.1, it asks the question, Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? And one of the persons that calls out is he who swears to his hurt. In other words, he's taken an oath, and it turns out it's going to hurt him. It says, And he doesn't change. He keeps his word. He goes ahead and follows through. That's something the world doesn't like. Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22, it says, If thine enemy is hungry, feed him that's not the way the world teaches you either i say don't get mad get even no don't get even get ahead okay no god says if you got an enemy take care of his needs. anytime you get the opportunity if he's hungry feed him If he's thirsty give him something to drink that's what god says to do and the world's not going to like that either see if you're consistently kind even to people that can't stand you it starts showing that you're you're not the same anymore you're not the natural man anymore you're not even a carnal man you're a spiritual man you're walking with jesus you're doing what he asked you to do let's go ahead and pray lord jesus we'd ask that you'd raise us up as students of your word and let us feed on the living word the person of christ so that we can truly have the mind of christ we know that we're strangers in this world but we're also your ambassadors as long as we're here and we ask that you'd teach us to honor you by our lives in jesus name <clears throat> we're gonna take communion this morning. If the fellows will come and pick up the elements, um, communion serves us as a as a reminder of the reality of where we stand with God. <clears throat> Jesus first taught it, but. When he taught it, his blood was still in his veins, and his body was still sitting at the table with the other guys. And so, when he said, "This is my body," obviously he meant this represents. And when he said, "This is my blood," is obviously that's what it represents. So we're not teaching transubstantiation here. I hope that doesn't bother anybody because that's clearly not what it means. This is a commemorative feast. <clears throat> so we're going to read about it in First Corinthians chapter 11.